I spend a lot of time listening to Rabbi Wish's Shiurim. Um, I don't need to tell people he's a Talmud Chacham. What I love about the Shiurim most is that there's a sense of Avas HaTorah. When he gives over an idea, when he shares a thought, when he explains something, the feeling you get is that he loves learning, he loves teaching, and it's our great schos to have him here today. Thank you very much. Thank you, Rabbi Weber. It's always wonderful to be here in Gush. It's just uh, always such a pleasure to see how guys are learning and growing, and uh, and uh, it's uh, it's really difficult to um, to imagine that uh, that I'm saying a shir in Gush. You know, it's uh, obviously known as a very very high level place, and hopefully uh, you'll have something to gain. From, uh, from some of what we have to talk about. But what we're going to do today is I'd like to share with you three uh, or four halachic shailas that came up over the last several months, and you're going to decide which one we're going to talk about. What is our time frame? Oh, I'm not going to go that long. Okay, so uh, so we'll have uh, yes, I'm going to I'm going to share with you a few actual real life halacha lemaisa that have come up, and uh, and we'll take a vote. You know, you'll uh, raise your hands and tell me which ones you would like to, which one you would like to talk about, and that's how that's how we'll do this. That's how we'll go about this. What masechta is the yeshiva doing? Well, Basra. Okay, so I don't think any of these are about Basra topics. Okay, so we'll do. Uh, okay, so uh, one shaila that came up recently was I, I, I received a phone call from a um, from a rabbi, uh, and he was calling not to ask me the shaila because he thought I was capable of answering the shaila, but he was calling to ask me to ask the shaila. Meaning he knows that I work in this building in Washington Heights called Gluck, and in that building I do what I like to uh, call a shaila walk. That sometimes they'll have a serious shaila. I can't think of an answer. I can't even uh, imagine taking on myself the uh, the responsibility of giving an answer to such a shaila. So I just take a walk through the building. I'll leave my office. I'll go down to the first floor, walk through the base medrash, see who I see. Go up to the second floor, walk through the base medrash, see who I see. And usually about 15 minutes later, I have uh, chuvas from Rav Herschel Shachter, Rav Mordechai Willig, Rav Zvi Sablovsky, and Rav Yaakov Nuberger, and it's fantastic. So uh, and sometimes they even agree, which is even better. So, uh, so it's, a, it's a wonderful thing to be able to do. So this Rav called me not because he wanted my answer to it, but because he wanted, uh, he, he was hoping that I would be able to receive some chuvos from uh, from people who have much, much broader shoulders. So here's the Shaila. Reuven and Shimon are brothers. Um, that always works out that way. So uh, sadly, Shimon is no longer religious. Good. Shimon is not, I mean, not good, it's bad. Shimon is no longer Shomer Torah Umitzvos. And as a result of that, uh, Shimon obviously is living a very different lifestyle, but there is a line that even Shimon won't cross. Uh, he, not on principle, but because of practical reasons, he says that he would never marry a non-Jewish woman. Why would he never marry a non-Jewish woman? He doesn't really see anything wrong with it, but he says he's not going to do it because he knows that it would kill his parents, that it would destroy his parents. And he doesn't, and it would rip apart his whole family. They would start having uh, machlokas about whether they should go to the wedding, not go to the wedding, go to the engagement party, you say malz, you say congratulations. It becomes a very, very, very difficult parsha. Unfortunately, I'm sure there are people in the room that have had this parsha within uh, families. It comes up, unfortunately, more often than we would like it to come up. So Shimon uh, knows that it would rip, he's seen it happen, so he says he's not going to marry a non Jewish woman. However, Shimon has recently met a non-Jewish woman. We will call her... Give me a good non-Jewish woman name. You heard it? You said Vanessa? 
You heard the shir? Okay, so I think we're not going to pick this topic. Okay, he met a non-Jewish woman called. Uh, we'll call her Vanessa, and uh, <laughs> there's no way he would have picked that name, right? Unless he heard me give that example. So the uh, so, so uh, and and recently Vanessa has become pregnant. Um, obviously, there are things that happened between him meeting her and her becoming pregnant, but we need not elaborate. So uh, Vanessa is now pregnant with uh, Shimon's baby, and Shimon believes that the right and moral thing to do, the proper thing to do, is to uh, is to marry Vanessa because she's carrying his baby. What would be, uh, you know, what kind of person would not uh, take care of this woman who he impregnated and his own child? So his sense of morality tells him that he should uh, that he should marry Vanessa. Reuven happens to have a relationship with Vanessa. Reuven's the firm brother. He's the one of the Shomer Torah mitzvahs. He has a relationship with Vanessa, and he thinks that he might be able to prevail on her to have an abortion. So uh, he thinks that he can convince her. So Reuven asked his rabbi, who in turn asked me to ask the poskim of our yeshiva, whether it's okay for him to encourage Vanessa to get an abortion. What's what's the tzad to say yes? That's the you're giving a tzad to say no, yeah. right? Okay, what's the tzad to say yes? Mm-hmm. Prevent intermarriage, which is a pretty big deal. So which avera do you go with, right? Meaning, uh, should you? It's potentially shvichas dam. We'll have to see if we discuss the shaila, right? So that's the uh, that's the shaila. Should he encourage Vanessa to get an abortion, and that way he'll, pre- he'll prevent his brother from marrying an non-Jew, or do you say no? You let things happen, but you can't encourage someone to do a davar aser, to do something that is prohibited. Uh, a second shaila, a second shaila. Um, there is a uh, practice in the five towns. Uh, which is an area on the south shore of Long Island, some of you may be familiar with. Uh, on uh, a show of hands, how many of you have ever been in the five towns for Simchas Torah? Okay, and not embarrassed to admit. Okay, so in the, the, in, the in the five towns, there's a uh, practice that uh, all of the teenagers in uh, I don't know in the world uh, get together on uh, on Simchas Torah. And I don't know how, if there's like a WhatsApp group that I'm not a part of or something, but somehow they all know exactly where to go. So much so that even when Rabbi Kamenetsky sends out an email, if you're found at this place, you'll be expelled from school and from life or whatever. And then, and then they, they all know where to go next, like where the, the secondary location is going to be. So there are these uh, large gatherings of teenagers doing all sorts of mitzvahs and mice and tovim, all over people's lawns and everything else. So uh, a neighbor of uh, one of these uh, of, of one of these locations uh, reached out to me after Simchas Torah, not to kvetch, not to complain that he didn't like uh, what the kids were doing on Simchas Torah, but to ask the following shaila that he thought of just in case it comes up again next year. He says it was uh, Simchas Torah night. He did not like what was going on on his front lawn. He did not uh, want his children to see what was going on on his front lawn. He did not. Uh, he was not not a happy camper. But he also is not the type of guy to come out of his house with his undershirt on. Get off of my lawn, you know. He didn't want to be that guy either. So he's trying to think of a way, how can he get the kids off of his lawn? So here's what he came up with. He had a housekeeper in the house for Yantiv, and he was going to ask her, just turn on the sprinklers. 
You know, out, he had no interest in watering his lawn at the end of October, uh, but, you know, turn on the sprinklers and they, they're not going to stay. We'll, uh, we'll change, they'll get off the lawn if you turn on the sprinklers. So then he had a shyly. He's not sure. Well, wait a second. Am I allowed to do that because you're really not allowed to water your lawn on, uh, on Yantif? But you, what's the time to say he can't do it? You, you are allowed to water children on Yantiv. You're just not allowed to water the lawn on Yantiv. He's not trying to hit the lawn with the with the water. He's trying to water the kids. He's not trying to water the lawn. So that is Shaila number two. So Shaila number three. How many should we do? Okay, Shaila number three. Um, okay, let's do this one. Uh, no one has chosen this one yet, but I'm going to try it again. Uh, I got the following text from uh, from somebody. The guy who davens in Meshul. He says, uh, my niece has what appears to be a Lyme-like infection that has become very serious. Lyme, L-Y-M-E, not a citrus fruity kind of infection. Uh, that has become very serious. Um, the next sentence goes as follows. I'm reading the text. A Rebetzin recommended. Can you detect a problem with the text so far? <laughs> If you have a Lyme-like infection, where do you go? Oh, very good. Okay, just making sure. You go to a doctor, right? So uh, you don't go to the Rebetzin. So I imagined, you know, as I was reading that sentence, that the rest of the sentence would read, a Rebetzin recommended that she should go to the doctor, right? That's not not what it says. A Rebetzin recommended that she do the pigeon-to-belly-button treatment that is more commonly done for hepatitis. Before we move any further, <laughs> by a show of hands, and I'm sure there's somebody, by a show of hands, how many of you know what this is talking about? Always, right? There are always people that have heard of it. Do you know someone who's had it? Uh, no, but I had no. it. Yeah, so the, 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 there is a belief that's out there, and I have yet to say this over in a room where there isn't somebody that's heard of it. Usually somebody knows somebody that's had it and swears by it and says that it works, and we could discuss why they believe that. But uh, the, the assumption is that if you buy, it's got to be white, purely white. I don't know if it's pigeons or doves, but purely white baby pigeons, I think it is, and uh, which apparently I discovered through my research of this topic is illegal to buy in New York. I don't know why. <laughs> so if someone wants to buy them, they have to go to New Jersey and then cross state lines. It's like fireworks in Pennsylvania or something. And then you, uh, you bring them back into New York and uh, you put a person, uh, the person who's suffering from hepatitis or I guess Lyme-like infections on, on, on the bed, and they uh, lift up their shirt, and you take a baby pigeon, and you put the pigeon down on their belly until enough of the jaundice leaves the person and goes into the pigeon, at which point the pigeon dies. They then chuck the pigeon and get another one, and they keep doing it until they have a pigeon that's strong enough that it doesn't die. And at that point, the person is rid of their disease, and he walks up and he lives happily ever after. The pigeons aren't as happy, but the person, uh, the person walks away. So the, the, now I go back to the text. Scientifically, this makes no sense to me. <laughs> However, I'm open to there being things that I do not know. Another factor is the power of placebo effect, even if there's nothing to this procedure. Another factor is this may be Tsar Balichayim, cruelty to animals, especially since it's possible that the reason the pigeon is dying is not because the disease is leaving your body and entering the pigeon, but because you are suffocating the pigeon with your hands as you're holding the pigeon there. It's possible. So that could very well be Tsar Balichayim. 
my sister, remember this is the guy's niece, so he says, my sister asked that I help with this procedure. I want to be able to be there for my sister. However, I don't know whether this is halachically the right way to go. So that is Shaila number three. Should we uh, stop it at that? At three Shailas? Yeah. One more? One more? You're going to have to choose. You're going to have to choose. One, one more? Okay, we'll do one more. One more. Um, hmm, okay. All right, we'll do this one. Um, okay, this is more of a pulled from the headlines one. Uh, someone, uh, mm, nah, I don't like that one so much. Uh, all right, I'll do a simple one. Um, he, here's one. Uh, a guy in my shul came over to me and he told me that uh, he's involved in real estate dealings in New Jersey, um, specifically low-income housing. And um, he said that one of the big players in low-income housing in New Jersey is a man by the name of Shaquille O'Neal. Um, it's, he doesn't, it's, not, it's not a coincidence. It is the former NBA. It's not like someone who happens to have the same name. So uh, Shaquille O'Neal... Uh, is uh, in honor of Kobe. We should talk about his nemesis. So uh, Shaquille O'Neal is, uh, for those who don't know, uh, is a former NBA player. Uh, he's a giant, giant person. And uh, he's involved in, in, with a group of former NBA players in investing in low-income housing in New Jersey. So this fellow in my shul came over to me and he said, Rabbi, I got to tell you, I met Shaquille O'Neal. And with stars in his eyes, he says, and don't worry, I said a bracha. What what bracha would you say on Shaquille O'Neal? So he said, trust me, whatever bracha it is, you have to say a bracha on Shaquille. He said that that he came to this meeting, and these NBA players came in, and he said, you've never seen anything like, you know, in YU, we're very proud of our Max. They won 18 games in a row and whatever. And, like, you walk around campus, and, like, oh, there's Gabe Leifer, and he's, like, uh, so tall. He's, like, Jewish tall, okay? These guys are... They are enormous. They are enormous. He said each one, one after the other. And then Shaq comes in. And like this mountain, the fact that this mountain is a human being, it is like, it is unbelievable. He said, you can't not say a bracha. So I guess my shayla is, uh, do you say a bracha on Shaquille O'Neal? And if so, what is the proper bracha that one would recite on Shaquille O'Neal? Okay, so these are our four shaylas. So we'll stop it at four. I'm not going to just keep going. Uh, so shayla number one is, I don't remember which order I went in, uh, the abortion, right? Mission to abort. But uh, shayla number two, watering the kids. Shayla number three, pigeon on the belly. And shayla number four, the bracha on Shaq. Um, so we're going to do, uh, you know, raising your hands, vote, okay? Um, Rabbi Jonathan Cohen is going to be in charge of counting the votes <laughs> because I'm not good at assessing. Uh... Okay, so all those who, sometimes, it's usually obvious. All those who uh, would prefer to discuss Shaila number one, mission to abort. Oh, okay, I have a feeling. Uh, all those who would dis- like to discuss watering the kids. Fewer, okay. Uh, those who want to discuss pigeon on the belly. And uh, those who want to talk about the bracha on shack. The cone? Yeah, I think the first one. I think so too. Sorry about that. Is it online? I gave the shiva. Yeah. Ah, sorry about that. Okay. So anyway, <laughs> I'll try to uh, emphasize different points in the past. 
Chazara. Okay, so uh, so let, let's let's go let's go like this. When you're dealing with such a shaila, especially such a weighty shaila, I mean this is this is not a simple um, you know uh, my my milchik spoon went through the fleshik dishwasher kind of shaila where we hope anyone who gets smicha should be able to answer the shaila. You have to realize that there's a hierarchy in uh, the rabbinate and that some some shailas need to go to Gedolei Yisrael. And this kind of question is not something that should be handled, let's say, on uh, my level in uh, in the rabbinate. It has to be handled by uh, by Gedolei HaPoskim. So uh, it's a very, very sad and weighty shaila. But part of what we have to do when we learn halacha is to be able to, what, what Rabbi Bleich calls issue spotting, right? What we have to be able to do when we have an actual Shailu Lemaisa is sometimes, very often, there is no single si'if in Shulchan Aruch that you can look at and you can say, oh, that's the si'if about if your brother's about to get intermarried and uh, the woman is pregnant and you want... It, it doesn't appear in Shulchan Aruch. There's no Gemara that explicitly deals with it. So what you need to know is how many issues are there that you need to familiarize yourself with, familiarize yourself with each of those issues, and then you can come to some sort of conclusion when you put it all together and you weigh them against each other. So how many issues are there? What are the issues? What are the sugyas that we need to learn in order to be able to come to an approach to answer such a shayla? So let's start. Sugya number one that you need to learn. What's the iser of abortion, right? Is it, uh, how severe of an iser is it? Daraisa, darabanan, and if it's daraisa, what the gather is, what exactly the iser is. Furthermore, what are you allowed to do to prevent intermarriage? Or we'll, we'll, we'll even uh, formulate that maybe a little bit differently, which is, how bad is intermarriage? What's the other of intermarriage? Where does it say in the Torah that you're not allowed to intermarry? Or where does it come from? Right? So how how big of an Avera is marrying an Anjou? How does Lefneiver apply when you're dealing with an Anjou? Right? Meaning, obviously, you're not going to perform... The, Ruvain's not a doctor. He's not one of these people that... He's not going to be able to perform the abortion. Ruvain is someone who's going to ask someone to perform the abortion, who's going to uh, encourage Vanessa to do the abortion. He's not doing anything himself. So is there Lifneiver when it comes to non-Jews? And uh, what exactly are the Gedarim of Lifneiver when it comes to non-Jews? Um, to what extent do we need to prioritize Shalom To what extent do we need to prioritize Shalom Bayes? Meaning, and that's a very important point. A lot of times, you, you, beyond looking at the halachos, you have to look at the pressures that uh, that 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 uh, relate to the situation. There's and these are concepts in halacha. There's something called shasat chak in halacha. So we have to know how big of a shasat chak is it? How important is it that the family retains some sort of some sort of connection? And um, that the family uh, not uh, not fall apart, which it likely will, or at least the extended family, uh, if uh, if this person is to intermarry. Is there anything else? Yeah. In terms of what? Good. Meaning, Reuven is going to have to tread very, very carefully. Meaning, if even if Reuven is allowed to to encourage her to get an abortion, that could, you know, that the from guy is encouraging that uh, that she should that she should get an, that that's uh, that could be a terrible chul Hashem. Why? Just because she's so terrible that she can't marry the brother? There, there's another another thing that probably should be discussed in this context. Sometimes when you're faced with a situation where you have where Navera is going to happen, 
Sometimes we'll say, better just sit still and don't do anything. That's one of the criteria that we judge cases. One of the other uh, topics that I've been offering uh, to speak about in yeshivos that, uh, that, that relates to this is the, there was a shayla that went around uh, some of the Gedolia Poskim in Eretz Yisrael recently where there was a guy that was in a uh, nursing home for a Shabbos with his father and he and, and in, in, really late at night in the nursing home after everyone was asleep, he wanted a cup of tea. So he walked down the hall and he saw there was a door open and there was a hot water urn in the room and he walks into the room and as soon as he walks into the room, the doors closed behind him. He didn't realize there were electronic doors and someone else had activated them and had walked in first. So it was Friday night, it's Shabbos, and uh, he's in this room with the electronic doors closed. Okay, so he'll spend the rest of Shabbos there. No, no, someone else walked in before him. Who walked in before him? The nurse who's on call that entire night, who's supposed to just hang out in that room until she's needed. So now here he is in this room alone with this woman, and that's an Isser Yichud. And uh, the only way out of the Isser Yichud is Chil Shabbos. So what does he do? So that's also it's one of these cases where, where whichever way you turn, something wrong is going to happen. There's going to be an Avera that's going to happen. So one of the ways that we approach it, you know, once you deal, once you finish discussing Daraisa versus Durabana, uh different levels of Onesh, one of the issues is, is there, is there a Shevi Altasa Adif in the situation? So maybe just sitting still and not doing anything is better than uh, proactively getting involved. There is another option, though, meaning sometimes you're faced with, uh, and, and this is just a good thing to know in life, a lot of times people will uh, present you with two options. They'll say there are only two options, and none of them are good. You can either do this or you can do that. And most often, maybe not here, but most often in those circumstances, the correct answer is don't accept that premise. Don't, just because someone tells you that there are only two options does not mean that there are only two options. When they say you, it's either A or it's B, you should immediately start thinking about what would option C look like. Meaning, is there another way out? Is there another option? So I ask you, is there another option of you? Oh, work on the brother instead of working on Vanessa. Okay, anything else? Gerus. Right? Meaning maybe we convince, convince uh, Vanessa to go through a gerus. Now that option, I don't want to discuss at great length, but that will turn, uh, will likely turn uglier than any of the other options. Meaning, uh, if Vanessa and Shimon are not, have no plans of being Shomer Torah mitzvos, there is no Kabbalah's mitzvos, and there won't be a Kabbalah's mitzvos, so to perform a gerus is only going to cause more strife in the family. You see, when someone is unquestionably intermarrying, so everyone knows this is an intermarriage, this is how we deal with it. When the family says, do a gerus, and then the person listens and does a gerus, they find some rabbi because it's easy enough to find that there's going to be someone who uh, is orthodox or formerly orthodox. I was just mamish today and yesterday dealing with a situation like this where a girl fell in love with a non-Jewish guy. The family insisted that he go through a gerus. He did. He did. They found uh, actually a Wayu Musmach, but he, uh, uh, who, who uh, I mean, I don't think we're particularly proud of. He's not particularly proud of Wayu either. Uh, who, who no longer affiliates Orthodox, who uh, got two other rabbis together, you know, and they formed a Beisdin, and they were Megayer, they were Megayer, this guy. And now it's a bigger Machlokas. Because now she's not, she doesn't understand why, what's everyone's problem. They told me to get him a Gerus, I got him a Gerus, so he's a Jew, what's everyone's problem? 
Meaning, had had he remained a non-Jew, she'd at least understand <laughs> that there's a, that there's a problem. So now half the family thinks he's Jewish, the other half of the family thinks he's not Jewish. That that becomes very very challenging. So yeah, it's good to think in those in, uh, of the other options, but uh, sometimes a person has to be careful to make sure that the other options are not more troubling than the first option. So let's start uh, attacking this Shiloh. So obviously the most the most uh, the the most um, uh, important sugya over here is the sugya of abortion, but I'm not going to start with that. Let's start with uh, lifna iver, then we'll go to intermarriage, then we'll go back to abortion, and we'll see how much time we have to to spend on it. The assumption we're going to make when we talk about lifna iver is that uh, abortion is aser. Uh, it is some iser. Right? If there's no real need for the abortion, uh, then there's some iser. When there is a major uh, stress, there's a major need for it, based on uh, whatever circumstance, uh, whether it be pikuach nefesh or something close to it, then you enter into major machlokas. Right? But leaving aside uh, any extenuating circumstance, for a person to get an abortion, let's say a woman says, I'm just not ready to have children right now. I'd rather not. You know, I want to finish graduate school before I have children. This was an accident. I wasn't planning on uh, becoming pregnant. I- I'll have a family later in life. So uh, we should all realize there, that is us. Right? There is no, uh, a lot of times people are so biased by certainly Americans, I know, because we live in, uh, in a society in America the, in, right now where everyone feels like this uh, this tremendous need to identify as either Democrat or Republican. And they think that they have to sign on to their political parties uh, every single belief in order to uh, in order to be a person. The, a Torah Jew doesn't look at the world that way. A Torah Jew looks at the world through the prism of Torah, of Devar Hashem, of Ratzon Hashem. What does a Kodesh Baruch Hu have to say? So if a Kodesh Baruch Hu says, so if someone's going to ask you what's the Torah view on uh, you know, any given issue, so sometimes they'll, they'll, they'll be talking about things that are, that are not really Torah topics, that are not really something the Torah has what to say on, and, and you need to, to judge each situation for what the Devar Hashem is. So let's say, like, uh, let's take abortion as an example. There are many poskim that in certain circumstances would permit an abortion. Does that mean, oh, I'm, a, I'm, I'm, I'm fully, uh, the Torah is fully on board with uh, right, a woman's right to choose? Of course not, right? There, there, there are some poskim that are, uh, you know, it, it doesn't mean that uh, the Torah is necessarily fully on board with uh, right to life either, the way the Christians understand it and the way the right wing in America understands it. It's, there, it's more nuanced. And a person has to realize that, that we're not interested in what our political parties have to say about uh, about Torah topics and about life. We're interested in what the Torah has to say. So we're going to take it as a given because it is a given, because it is true, that absent any need, there is some sort of iser when it comes to performing an abortion. The question then becomes asking a non-Jew to do it. Right? It's usher for a non-Jew as well. That is also explicit. There is uh, there's, there's uh, not much to discuss. It's a Rashi on Parshas Noach, and a Ben Noach is Chayev Misa for doing an abortion. So given that, given that it's an Isser for a non-Jew, so someone says, okay, so now you have to discuss, is there such a thing as Lufne Iver for a non-Jew? If I'm going to get a non-Jew to do an Avera, is that a violation of Lufne Iver? So what do you say? Is it? So th- there is a Beferish Gemara like this. 
The Gemara Mesechs of Odzor, the Vav and Beis, the Gemara tells us, Minayin shalo yoshit adam kos shal yayin lenazir veivrim lechayil bnei noach. How do I know that if you have a kos yayin, if you have a cup of wine, you should not give it to a uh, nazir? And if you have veivrim uh, lechayil, do not give it to a ben noach. You have a cow in your backyard and you have a ben noach friend that comes over and says, you know, I'm really hungry. I'd love some fresh meat. You're not allowed to just lop off the cow's leg and give it to your ben noach friend to eat, right? You're not allowed to give veivrim to ben How do I know that? Says the Gemara. Tamalomar v'lifneiver lo sitein michshol. So very clearly, uh, it's it seems from the Gemara, and the Ritva points this out. It's an isadar raisa to be machshil ben noach in uh, in violating that which he's not allowed to do. In the Chuvas Pnei Yoshua, the Chuvas Pnei Yoshua, which is not written by the Pnei Yoshua himself, I believe it's his grandfather, in Chelek Aleph Yerdeasim Gimel, he, he claims that it's only Midrabanan, he has a raya from a Rashi, that uh, the Sheva Mitzvah uh, became Mutzel Lebenei Noach. Okay, we're not going to get into that. Let's assume, Pashat reading of the Gemara, that it's an Isidah Araisa. There is a very curious comment, a very curious comment, uh, of the Sefer Achinuch in Mitzvah Reish Lamed Beis. Sefer Achinuch writes, and I'll read just one line. Here's the line. He's defining the Isra of Lifneiver. And he says, the Isra is, Lo lahachshil b'nei Yisrael laseislam eitzara'ah. Lo lahachshil b'nei Yisrael laseislam eitzara'ah. What did he do over there? He, he took Lifneiver and he somehow narrowed it down, Davka, to b'nei Yisrael. The Rambam in Los Hase Reish Tzaditas, his Hiranu Mehachshil Ktsaseinu Es Ktsaseinu. Some of us cannot be Machshil, others of us, Be'etzah She'ena Hogeras. That's how the Rambam defines Lufneither. The problem with both the Chinuch and the Rambam is that they are beferish against the Gemara. Right? The Gemara seems to say very clearly that there is an Isra of Lifneiver, not only for a Nazir, but for a Ben Noach as well. So the Minchaschin this Kasha, says against the Gemara, the Gemara says it applies to a Ben Noach. So Minchaschin suggests that the Isra to be Machshil Ba'avera applies to Ben Noach. But you see, Lifneiver is actually two different Isurim. What's the second? This is Nisri, Nalad, Kosam, Dun, Avera. What's the other, the other form of Lifneiver? Not to give bad advice, not to give an etzerah. So you have someone who's interested in investing in a certain stock, and you know that it's about to tank, so you're not allowed to encourage them to buy that stock. That's the iser of eight of etzerah. You know, there's a, a, a suffix in the Yad Malachi, whether if you, uh, he's not sure if you try to be machshul Avera, but the person ends up not doing the Avera. Right? Uh, what is, is that Lifnei Iver or not? Is that a violation of Lifnei Iver? So everyone always says, if you've ever heard a shir on Lifnei Iver, uh, you know, the, the classic shir on Lifnei Iver is, uh, is Lifnei Iver an Isra Klali or an Isra Prati? Which means, is Lifnei Iver uh, that when I get someone to, let's say, wear shotness, right? So is it that I'm violating a part of that Avera of wearing shotness? Or is it, no, I violated a separate Avera called Lifnei Iver. And Nafkamina would be one of the many Nafkaminas is, what if he doesn't actually do the Avera? I'm begging him, saying, oh, shotness is so comfortable, you got to try it, it feels so smooth, it's whatever. I don't know if it does or not. But, you know, it's, uh, it's I hope that, 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 you know, you try to tell, and he's like, no, I will not wear shotness. And he just doesn't do it. So is that a violation of Lifneiver? But it could be that either way, it's a violation of the other kind of Lifneiver. You're giving him a tzara'ah. 
that you're telling him to do something, right? The Yom Nafkmin is if you're uh, machshil someone in Nisr Durabanan. Did you violate Lifneiver Daraisa when you get someone to do a Nisr Durabanan? So on the one hand, if 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 the whole issue of Lifneiver is that you're getting a piece of his Avera, and his Avera is only Durabanan, so your Avera can only be Durabanan. But on the other hand, if the Yisr of Lifneiver is an independent Yisr, not to get someone to do an Avera, so once this has a shame Avera, it could be that it's Nisidar Raisa. But it might be Nisidar Raisa anyway because of Eitzara'a. That it's definitely bad advice to try to get someone to violate Nisidar Rabbanan. So the Minchas Chinuch suggests that the Yisr Lahachshil Ba'avera, that applies to, to Bnei Noach, that's explicit in the Gemara. In Allah will give Avram Menachai to Bnei Noach. But the Yisr of Eitzara'a, that doesn't apply to Bnei Noach. That only applies to Bnei Yisrael. That's what the Minchas Chinuch suggests. Um, the, uh, that's the Minchas Chinuch suggestion. There is a, oh, you're doing Bab Basra, right? There is a Gemara in Bab Basra that says that you can't give uh, Eitzatova l'Nachri. Right, where does that Gemara appear? Right at the beginning. Right, by the early sugyas, the tzedakah sugyas, they're not supposed to give good advice uh, to, uh, you know, there's a, a discussion whether you could, uh, the Gemara talks about being makabel tzedakah from a nachri, uh, providing uh, extra zuchuyos. So uh, that, that would in, seem to suggest um, that uh, if you're not allowed to give Eitzah Tova, so maybe you're allowed to give Eitzah but it doesn't really say that. You're not allowed to give Eitzah either. Rav Chanan points out in Meseches Pesachim, in the Kovit Shurim, that the logic to distinguish between one type of Lifnei and the other is that to be machshul someone in Isra is an Isra ben Adam Lamakam. You know, you're causing them to do an Avera, that's an Isra ben Adam Lamakam. Eitzah is an Isra ben Adam Lamakam. And it could be that Mitzvah ben Adam Lamakam classically don't apply to Bnei Noach. When I say classically, it means it, it, we, this should not be taken in the wrong way. This does not mean that you're allowed to be a, um, you know, a mean person, that you're allowed to take advantage of other people, of other human beings. No, chas v'shalom. It's definitely us to steal. Rav Shachar always tells us, please, just remember to tell your Balabatim that it's us to steal from Bnei Noach also. I mean, he, he's under the impression, he's such a tamimistic person, he's under the impression that the reason that there are all of these Chil Hashem situations, not just, just horrible situations, where people steal from, uh, from, from Bnei Noach, from, uh, from Nachrim, it's because they went to yeshivas where they were told that, uh, that a guy is worthless and you can do whatever you want to. And uh, it's just because the, the people don't know. So if the rabbis would just tell them, you know, it's just like talking in shul. Like rabbis say, don't talk in shul, and then no one ever talks in shul again, right? So it's exactly like that. So if the rabbis would just, uh, would just say that it's also to steal from B'nai Noach, then people would listen and people would stop doing this. He's very tremistic. He believes that that's, uh, that that's the reason. So he always tells us, please just, just remind, remind everyone. So what does this mean when we say that uh, in Mitzvah Benal Mechavera did not apply to Bnei Noach? So there is this uh, Yisod that Rav Shechter has. I don't know if he has, if he heard it from the Rav or not. Um, I don't remember. But uh, the, the basic idea is as follows, that the, uh, all Mitzvah Benal Mechavera are based on, to some degree or another, the notion of reciprocity. That if you're going to live in a society, you should behave like an upstanding member of that society, and therefore you should do unto others as you would hope that they do unto you. So, for example, if you become ill, would you hope that there would be a stream of, uh, of people, of Nachrim, who are going to come and visit you? You would have no expectation of that. 
For Jews, would you expect that? Yeah, you go into any hospital in Manhattan, for example, and there will be a stream of Satmar Hasidim that will be taking care of you for until you're released from the hospital. Say what you want about the Satmar Hasidim. That, you know, that that Nakuda, there's there's plenty to emulate there as far as the Chesed is concerned. And and that's sort of like an expectation because that's what it is to be a Jew. But you don't have that expectation, and therefore you also don't have that chiyuv. Meaning the mitzvahs ben al lechavero are based on some sense of reciprocity that the Jewish people are a family and therefore we treat each other like family and we are part of a society and therefore we treat each other like the uh, like, like uh, upstanding members of society would would hope to be treated. So given that, given that that's uh, if that in fact is the case, the uh, the to to, uh, to behave like a basic uh, human. A human being and have decency to all people. That certainly applies to uh, to non-Jews as well. Uh, Rav Shetzer pointed out that when it comes to extraordinary acts, extraordinary acts, uh, that would not apply. Those types of benam lechavero would not apply to non-Jews. So, for example, you can't say lashon hara. Let's say, let's say there's a Jewish child in the kindergarten. And uh, he's uh, what they used to call a vildechaya. The guy is an absolute wild beast. He's absolutely he's crazy. The kid is out of his mind, right? So you're not allowed to run around talking about this kid and say that, uh, oh, the kid is insane. It's crazy. Uh, because it may damage his reputation down the line. So you stop telling Lashonara about the child. Rav Pam's grandson, David Zemeshuli, told me that he was once... In, uh, in, in he was shopping with his grandfather, grocery shopping with his grandfather, helping him toward the end of his life. And uh, there was a, a, a Jewish woman in the store, and she started yelling at her child, "You're a bad boy!" And he turns to his grandfather, and there are tears coming down his grandfather's face. And he said, "Everything okay?" And his, gra- his grandfather, Sir Palm, said, "How could she say that to a child? How could you tell a child that he's a bad boy?" He's not a bad boy. He's not behaving so nicely. But how could you say that he's a bad boy? So uh, certain sensitivity. So for a Jew, you wouldn't be allowed to do that. Um, however, you may say such a thing about a non-Jewish child. You don't have to worry. Oh, this may ruin his shidduch in 20 years from now. But to just go around saying horrible things about a non-Jew, that's Asr too. Because a decent person doesn't do it. I mean, the Gedarim of Lashon Hara, if you ever learned Sefer Chavetz are like so strict in terms of how positive you have to be. That's for us. But but you're still not allowed to be mean. You're still not allowed to say nasty things about people, about anybody. So Rav Shachter thought that advising to get an abortion, that's not just stam, bein adam lechavero, and therefore we're not mechuy of klape, umos ha'olam. He says, no, no, that is, that's horrible. That's a horrible thing to do to somebody. You're advising them to do something that they're going to live with the guilt of that for the rest of their life. You can't do that to a non-Jew either. That doesn't relate to Jew versus non-Jew. You know, I've uh, uh, pointed out um, there's an unbelievable statistic that just maybe highlights this point. Because this is a point that, I don't know, there's room for disagreement, obviously, about some of the details over here. But Gadol, I think, uh, every normal thinking person would agree that uh, that a Jew has to uh, has to treat other people with dignity, with respect, and uh, you know exactly what the details are. There's uh, room for disagreement, but uh, just to highlight this point, that the Jewish people among ourselves we treat each other as family, and among others we treat each other as we would hope every upstanding member of society would, uh, and, and that, that's the following statistic. You know, there's something called uh, an altruistic kidney donation. 
Altruistic kidney donation means that someone gives a kidney to somebody else that they never met before. They just give them because they heard that there are people that need kidneys, so they decide to donate a kidney to someone that they never met before. So the, the statistic that I think really drives home this point is that in the United States of America, I don't know, I, I, you, could, you guys probably Google it and let me know, but I don't know exactly what percentage of the general population of the United States of America is Orthodox Jewish. I don't know. I would imagine very, very tiny, right? We all agree to that, right? Percentage of the population in the United States of America. I mean, you've, if, if you've only seen New York, that is not a reflection of the... Uh, if you've only been to Teaneck, it is not a reflection of, uh, of, of, of America at large. Very, very tiny. The percentage of altruistic kidney donors in the United States of America is about 20%. That are, that are Orthodox Jewish. Why is it that Orthodox Jewish people are 20% of the altruistic kidney donors in the United States when they're less than 1% of, of general society? And the answer is right, it's not because we're better or worse or anything. It's that we just, in, in, for normal people to give an organ to somebody else, even to consider it, you would need to be a family member. And that, that's accepted in society. There are extraordinary people that would give outside of their family. Normal people, ordinary people, would only even consider it for a family member. Why are the Jewish people doing it altruistically to other Jews? Because the Jewish people are a family. Meaning our view is that the, when, when dealing ben Adam l'chaveru, when dealing ben Yisrael l'Yisrael, the level of ben adam l'chaveru is such that it has to be the way you would treat family. When dealing with other people, with general society, you have to behave like an upstanding member of society and treat people with the respect you would hope that they would treat you with. And you would have no expectation that someone give you an organ of their body. So that, that's the, the idea that Rav Shechter tried to, uh, to highlight. So he thought that to advise someone to get an abortion you know, even if you're more on the Tzitz Eliezer side of things when it comes to abortion, and not so much on the Rav Moshe side of things when it comes to abortion, that's usually as much as people know about the abortions, because that Tzitz Eliezer was Mekel and Rav Moshe was Nachman. Rav Moshe held it in Nisra and he held it very, very strongly. You could see from his chuvas that he would not be convinced otherwise, and the regardless of how many rayas you brought, and uh, he had this chush, and he had, you know, he was Rav Moshe, so we, uh, you know, he's allowed to, you know, to, to, to hold things very, very strongly. And Tzitzel Yezer held uh, differently. It happens to be many of, of uh, there, are, there are more poskim other than Tzitzel Yezer that hold that it's not murder. Rav Asher Weiss has uh, pointed out on many occasions that he holds that it's not murder. He told, he told me once that there are people that come to him. He said it's sad. He hates it. He became the abortion rabbi. He said, people call him because they know that he's going to... He said, grandchildren of, of great postkin who hold that it's murder and would therefore never never allow it, when they have a terrible situation, they call her Vashwais. Because they know the, what, what answer he's going to give. So there are people that hold that it's, uh, that, that it's something uh, other than murder. But even so, Shakta pointed out to us once when we were uh, at the OU office on Friday sometimes during the springtime, I like to go with a couple of Rabbanim to the OU office where Shachter sits in, uh, in his office and he answers Klal Yisrael's Shailas. It's a fascinating thing to, to watch. 
he, uh, he sits in his office. So first, all the mashkichim from the OU come in. And they had this kasher shayla and that kasher shayla, details that I, I can't even follow, all of the, uh, you know, the chemistry involved sometimes and all of the, the details that are involved and the, 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 uh, the deep halachic discussions and some of the, the detailed laws of kashras. And then he has a, the phone is ringing off the hook also. So he's answering shadows that are coming in from everywhere because everyone knows you can catch him on Friday at the OU office. So he's uh, he's picking up the phone in the middle of uh, one conversation. Phone rings and he picks up and he answers some major yichus shayla. Hangs up the phone and he picks up mid sentence where, where he was with the uh, conversation in the room. It's a mavish, an unbelievable thing to watch. So one of the things he told us as he was dealing with an abortion shayla is he says you have to be very very careful. Even if it's mutter, it can really really tear a person apart. And a person's gonna, a woman's gonna live with that guilt, and the husband's gonna live with that guilt, and very often it could, it could be a major issue in their shalom bias going forward also. So it's not something to be taken lightly, and therefore he thought to advise a ben noach to do that. Uh, a normal human being would not expect an upstanding member of society to do something like that. Um, how bad is the issue of intermarriage? Before we get to it, how bad is the issue of intermarriage? So where is the issue of intermarriage? Where does it appear in the Torah? Does it say anywhere that do not marry a non-Jew? Ah, oh, so it says those is chatimba. It says those is chatimba, uh, and there is a machlokas now. What zar lamdavavim beis whether that applies to all non-Jews or only to the seven nations that inhabited Eretz Yisrael prior to our arrival here. The Rambam in Yisuri Bia Perikid Beis Halach Aleph passes like a Peshum Veichai that applies to all non-Jews, but only if it's derech ishus. However, the tour in Eben Ezer Simitas Zayin. Holds like the Chachab, that it only applies to Zayin Amim after they convert. After they convert. Before they convert, he said, it's not Chitun. It can't be called Los Hizchatin Bam. That's the Svar. How could it be Los Hizchatin Bam? That's not a marriage. There is no Chitun. Another possibility where it comes from, if it's not Los Hizchatin Bam, Los Hizchatin Bam is only Shiva Amin. So we know Kanaim Pogim Bam. Pinchas is a hero of the Jewish people. What did Pinchas do? He saw this uh, Jewish man, non-Jewish woman, he got up and he, you know, Killed them both, and he stabbed them. So Mestama, what they were doing is not considered a great mitzvah. Obviously, they were doing an Avera. That's a difficult source to apply, because it seems pretty clear that that's only Bifar Hesya that we say, and most people uh, do not act that way Bifar Hesya. Also, we only say when the act is ongoing, the next day, Pinchas cannot say, oh, I saw you yesterday, and then stab the guy in the shuk. Some hold that it's only with Hasra, we probably do not assume that way. And also, it's Halach of Marin came. But the, the idea is that if a Kanai can kill the person, even if you have all these details of when he can kill the person, there must be an, a Maisa Avera, right? There must be an Onesh for the Avera in the absence of a Kanai. But maybe even that onish is only if it's Pharisees, so it's not clear that that's necessarily the, the source. There's Maram Shik in the Tshuva and Ebenezer Simon Lamed Zayin that says that living as a married couple is considered Pharisees. He considers that to be just the fact that they consider themselves married, that that's enough to call it Pharisees. There's a possibility, it's based on the Pasuk of Loya Kadesh. The Gemara in Sanhedrin Daf Pei tells us that Bezin Shal Chashmanoyim made a gzeira against Bia with an achris. Bottom line is, when you have that many possibilities, it's very hard to pinpoint exactly the nature of the Yisr. So what is it? Is it, uh, is it a terrible Yisr? Is it the worst I've ever in the world or not? So the Jewish tradition has it 
that of course it's the worst Avera in the world. Right? Meaning for a person to become intermarried. Someone in, in Emes Lyakov, Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky Sefer and Chumash, he has a beautiful piece in Parshas Vayechi about uh, Shimon and Levi Achim. It's a very famous piece about how Shimon and Levi were chosen, according to Rashi, in the name of Chazal, were chosen to be the Melamdei Tinokos of Klal Yisrael. Why were they Melamdei Tinokos? Because they had this incredible love for Dina that they couldn't see her being taken and being violated without reacting, and someone who's going to be in Chinuch should have this great love for the Jewish people. Right? That's Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky's basic vart. In that same piece... He says that someone suggested that if a person is not going to be Shomer Torah or Mitzvos, maybe it's better that he marry a non-Jew than marry a Jew. What would the Cheshbon be? Right. If, she, if they're not going to be Shomer Torah or Mitzvos, and she's going to be Anida, it's an Isra Kares. With a non-Jew, what is it? A love of Los Hizchatin, but maybe. Kanoim Pogim, but what exactly is that? We're not sure. It's something... But it's not an Isakares. So Yaakov says, halachically I hear, but that is the craziest thing in the entire world. And no one would ever suggest that. What was the practice that used to be in uh, the Jewish people if someone would intermarry? Uh, it's a shiva for them. Right? We don't do that anymore. Mostly because it doesn't work. Right? The idea was that if you sit shiva for them, a person will get the impression that this is not worth it for me because I will never have my family again. I'm going to lose my family. Now, if you sit shiva for them, the person is going to write off their family and say, they are nuts. They are backwards. And they'll just run off with whoever they run off with. So it doesn't work. It doesn't accomplish what we want what We want to accomplish. So now the goal is, and the approach is generally of most poskim when it comes to intermarriage, is maintain some sort of relationship while still making it very, very clear that you do not approve of this marriage. But it's very important to maintain some sort of relationship, especially considering that the divorce rate in the United States is somewhere between 70 and 80%. And considering that these people come from very, very different backgrounds, it's probably even higher. So wait a few years till they're divorced, and then hopefully you'll still have a relationship. The person will have someone to uh, to come back to. So that's generally the uh, the approach. So intermarriage is terrible. It's the worst thing in the world. But to exactly define the iser is difficult. Abortion uh, is an iser of some sort, right? It's an iser potentially ritzicha, potentially what are the other potential possibilities? What? Oh, hashchasa zera, chavala. Right? These are the possibilities. Uh, there's a Chuvah's Beish Shlomo that says that it's a, it's a potential iser of a sakana for the mother because any medical procedure that you can go through like that could, could be uh, dangerous for the mother. One could argue with that that that's not true anymore, that it could be done quite safely. Um, if it, even if it is Ritzich, it's not Yarek Val Yavar. That we know because that the Mishnah says in Masech Sanedri. There was a terrible case that Rav Unterman has a Chuvah about he was asked about a, a girl who was Rachman uh, al A girl was uh, was raped by a Nazi, and the Nazi and and now the girl was uh, was pregnant, and the Nazi told the Jewish doctor he was embarrassed that a Jewish woman is carrying his child, so he told the Jewish doctor to uh, abort the fetus, and if not, I'll kill you. So Shailiz, if you hold it tzricha. So then So the Jewish doctor wanted to know, was he was he at that point to take the bullet rather than to perform the abortion? So Ravinterman said, it is Ritzicha, even if it is Ritzicha, it's not Yarik Valyav. You do not have to take the bullet. Why not? 
perhaps because the svar of my chazis won't apply to a fetus. Again, based on the mission of sex and that we're not going to get into the details now. Okay, so end of the day, let's wrap it up. Bottom line, what do you tell this person? Can Ruvain uh, tell someone? Tell can Ruvain try to encourage Vanessa to get the abortion or can't he? So on the one hand, intermarriage is the worst thing in the entire world, and we're gonna we're gonna stick with that. It's the worst thing in the entire world. On the other end, it's very clear. It's very clear that it's an issue of lifneiver. That it's a asr midaraisa for a ben noach to do the abortion, and it's this of the and this of the does apply to a ben noach. So there's one more detail that has to be ironed out over here. How exactly is Reuven going to encourage it? Is he going to say to Vanessa, Vanessa, listen, I know you don't have any money, and I know you really want to have an abortion, or you might be considering an abortion, but you don't have any money. I'll pay for it. Or is he going to say? Look, I'll, you know, there's a clinic you can go to. It'll just I'd point her in the right direction. What's the difference between those two? One is EF to do the other way. Oh, so it, one is EF to do the other way, meaning if the woman can't do it on her own, she doesn't have the money, and Ruben's going to pay for it. Now you're dealing with Neva Darais. If she can do it, and uh, and and she uh, she just uh, she just you know needs a little encouragement to do it, then it would only be Messiah. Midrabana, not Lefnever Daraisa. That's what we call Treavri Dinara versus Khadavri Dinara. If the person has the ability to do it without you, then it would only be an Isr Dirabana. But, as Rav Shachta pointed out over here, it's an Isr Daraisa anyway, potentially. And that is because uh, it is an Eitzara of the worst kind. Even if you hold that you're allowed to be Machshil, a non Jew in Eitzara, that's only minor Eitzara, Rav Shachta argued. But a major Eitzara'a, a life-changing Eitzara'a, that would still apply midoraisa, of Shechter thought, to a non-Jew. So now, halacha lemaisa. So I took a Pesach halacha walk. Right? And this walk I happened to not run into Rabbi Sabalovsky and Rabbi Neuberger. Although one time I took a Pesach halacha walk and I walked into Rabbi, Sa- Rabbi Sabalovsky and Rabbi Neuberger were talking to each other. So I waited patiently as, uh, you know, till they were finished. And Rabbi Neuberger noticed me and he said, which one of us are you waiting for? And I said, I don't care. <laughs> you know, whichever one. Like it's it's great to be here. I get to ask all these questions. So, uh, but this time I ran into uh, Rav Shechter and Rav Willig. So, if you are familiar with Rav Mordechai Willig's Derech uh, Hapsak, sometimes he'll sit with you and he'll schmooze and he'll listen to exactly every raya you bring and he'll explain to you very carefully. And sometimes, sometimes, for reasons that he knows. Um, and that he's not always willing to share, he'll only give you psak and will not give you the svar. Um, and, and I trust that there are good reasons for that. So when I asked Rav Willig this shayla, is it mutter for Ruvain to encourage the abortion? So uh, Rabbi, Will- Rabbi Willig was talking to Rabbi Rapp at the moment. Rabbi Rapp said a few things. Rabbi Willig shushed him. And Rabbi Willig said, mutter and I will not tell you why. So I said... But Rebbe, why? <laughs> and he said, I will not tell you why. Okay? So I assume it's because he assumes that intermarriage is the very worst thing in the world and whatever we can do to prevent it. I then went uh, down to Gluck 1 and I saw Rav Shechter and I asked him and he said, uh, it's absolutely Lefneiver. It's Lefneiver Doraisa. You can't do that. 
He said, work on the boy. Tell tell the boy, as someone suggested, tell the boy that, you know, how he's still going to destroy the family and that there are ways to pay child support without doing that. And that they're, you know, don't, don't uh, and, and how the marriage is probably going to fail if that's the only reason he's marrying her. Encourage him in other ways. And this is the, the dynamic uh, nature of Psaq Halacha, that sometimes when it comes to Psaq Halacha, you're not going to find a Si'if in Shulchan Aruch. But a lot of the sugyas that you learn, it's helpful to know that there is... Um, that there are people that have a mastery of Shas and are and, and Rishonim and Poskim and are able to draw on that and to be able to know how to apply and how to weigh the various factors in Halacha to be able to uh, to guide us in some of the most difficult circumstances. I just want to uh, take the opportunity to wish you all continued tremendous Hatzlacha in your learning and in your growth, in your Avodas Hashem here in Yeshiva and beyond. Remember, after Yeshiva also, hopefully you should stay in Yeshiva for as long as you can. For as long as you can. Learn Torah and stay in this Yeshiva and learn from your amazing, incredible, sensitive, caring, knowledgeable Rebbeim. Uh, and then when uh, when time comes and you're, you're in YU, you'll see also that there are uh, incredible, incredible Russia Yeshiva to learn from and to always be growing your entire life. I often ask Talmidim when they come back from Eretz Yisrael, what do you plan on gaining here in wherever I've been over the years, in Lander, in Halb, in uh, YU? What do you plan on gaining here? And uh, sometimes they'll say something terrible. They'll say, I, I, I'm really hoping not to lose what I gained in Eretz Yisrael. That's terrible. It's the worst answer. It's the worst answer. Because if your goal is not to, not to lose, that means you believe at the age of 19 or 20, you've achieved the pinnacle of Avodos Hashem. And now, and now for the rest of your life, the next 100 years of your life, your goal is to remain the same. That is terrible. You have 100 years of growth ahead of you. Take advantage of each and every single day and grow in your Torah in your Avodah Hashem, I wish you all the Hatzlach in the world. Have a wonderful day.